Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so thrilled to be in your eardrum for another episode of Why Though. It's always a pleasure for you guys to join us. And we took a little break from the failure, part one and two, because we realized we really wanted to make sure that we talked about Black History Month. So if you have not been able to listen to Black History is American History, I encourage you to go back and listen to the episode from last week because it's so good. And we talked about our heroes and what the Black community has given us. And I think it would be a worthwhile listen. But Failure is something that we want to keep talking about. Last time that we talked about this in, in episode one, we kind of laid out the reasons we're afraid to fail, whether it's the, a personality or it's family of origin, or perhaps you've had some negative experiences at your job or within your faith community, or maybe with friends that held you to some impossible standards, or maybe you just struggle to fail yourself. You're afraid of what that says about you. You're afraid of what how you might look to others. There's so many reasons that we feel afraid of failure, but we want that to be very normalized because failure yeah. really is a part of life. And as we're recording today, it's actually Ash Wednesday, which kicks off Lent. I don't know about you, Tiffany, but I didn't grow up sort of walking the liturgical calendar. Neither did I. Yeah. So for the past couple of years with, with Cody, my husband, who I think is a low-key monk, is what I like to say about him. We should, anytime <laughs> we talk about him, we need to say just like hashtag low-key monk. We do. It really is. <laughs> we should call him Friar Cody or Brother Cody oh my or gosh, something yes. like that. Friar for sure. <laughs> uh, Father Friar. Father yes. Friar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he has been practicing this on a regular basis for the last six years. And so it's beautiful to think about Ash Wednesday in light of failure. And part two, we wanted to be a little more of the practicals. What happens when you fail? What do you do? How do you come back from failure? How do you deal with sort of the internal shame of Mm. the little failures and the big failures? And Ash Wednesday is perfect for that because Ash Wednesday is an opportunity for us to think about our our humanity and our shared humanity and let that be okay. Let our humanity be what it is. It's a time for confession. It's a time for reflection. It's a time to Think about the things in your life that you might want to let God speak into, that you might want to let God change or shape, that you might want your community to know, um, that you might want to share with the people who are in your life. And I think this this time is such a rich, rich opportunity for us to talk about this topic. Mm, So good. Well, I'm happy to kick us off on a time of failure in my life. I was in thinking about this, I I was having trouble picking and I want to, there's a through line though. So I want to start with failure in my love life. I'm just going to go straight Mm. to the juicy bits, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I've shared in past episodes, more more our first year, 2018, early 2019, a little bit about um, my story. I moved abroad after I fell in love with Prince Charming, I like to call him. And (laughs) since he was from the land of uh, where princes are still princes, and that's a thing, whole monarchy. But I moved uh, to the U.K., um, after I met a gentleman at a wedding and we dated long distance and then eventually I decided to emigrate, pick up, close down my bank account, sell my car, quit my job, the whole nine yards. And um, I had no indication that things weren't as they should be. And I thought I was living my fairy tale life, Ashley, straight like 
Julia Stiles in that one G movie where she goes across the pond and falls in love with this guy and thinks this is her whole life. That was me, y'all. I was hook, line, and sinker and thought, oh my gosh, this is this is it. I'm not going to live in America. I'm going to move abroad and go live my love story. And uh, after I arrived, um, after long conversations and over a year of long distance dating and I arrived and three days later after settling in, um, and I had lived in the UK previously, but about I was about four, five hours north of where I was previously, settling in and after church one day, um, this man that I was dating who uh, was a pastor at the time, maybe he is still, who knows, he said, uh, would you come over to my house for lunch? And y'all, I thought I was going to get proposed to because that seems like the next logical step in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I showed up at his house all like bright eyed and bushy tailed. And he said, Tiffany, I have no desire for you. I don't want to be with you. I was in love (sighs) with the idea of you. And he's like, when it really comes to it, I just, and I said, are you sure? Like, how can you just turn love off like a light switch? Like I've given up Mm. literally everything, place, space, uh, you know, stability, friends, my whole world. Mm-hmm. And when I left his house, Ashley, I didn't know whether to go left or right to get back to my house because it was a brand new city. Didn't even know where I was going. So here I am just walking the streets <laughs> uh, in Lancashire for those across the pond mm-hmm. who are hearing this story. <laughs> and um, and it took me probably an hour to get back, which it should have been a 25 minute walk. And it took me almost mm-hmm. an hour. And I'm just tears running down my face. Um and just feeling like such a failure. Like, you know, I'm talking about like a big going away party, everybody laying on hands, my church mm. sending me, like this whole thing. And just feeling like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I can't go back home. I'm a fa- like, I can't, apparently I can't make love work. I'm not lovable. So of course, just mm. all these feelings. And, and and just to be really honest, just the financial investment that I had made. So I feel right. like a failure in that. And, and just, I, I couldn't have felt more... <laughs> deflated it broke me it broke me in half gosh I'm so curious like I would love for you for the sake of our readers to talk more about how his decision obviously those words are completely crushing especially for a young woman in her early 20s like Mm -hmm. I can't think of a worse time to hear that from some douchebag but I'm curious about your journey and process of feeling like I'm a failure at love. Like yeah. how did how did you journey from like, okay, this is a breakup. And obviously mm. there's a har- there's a harder context here, right? Like you uprooted your entire life. So mm. that's something different than like I'm in my hometown with a boyfriend mm. who broke up with me. Like it right. is I see the nuanced context here, but just talk about how you equated that immediately to like I'm a failure at love. Yeah. I also just want to give a, a context in the sense that this was my first boyfriend. And I grew up in purity culture that really poo-pooed dating and didn't give us any tools to how to build healthy relationships with the opposite sex. So I'm also coming at this with if we like each other and if this were dating, we have to get married. Mm. So if you found a reason to not marry me, therefore I am unlovable. Mm. So this this like deep-rooted belief that there's something wrong with me. And then I'm just going to be really honest. Oh, the pressure. Yeah. And I grew up in rural white America like – you guys, mm. being brown in rural white America and f- believing that you're unlikable simply because the color of your skin is a royal thing. When I have mentored yeah. other South Asian women, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's so hard to believe somebody could like you based on the color of your skin because it's such a it's such a mark against you. And 
it's something now I, I think back to like, oh, who would who would love me? I'm brown. I mean, there's a lot here, actually. I know we're mm. talking about failure. I'm just going there, y'all. No, but it's um, you know, going like, there. Yeah. And I appreciate it because we can all relate to the identity crisis that comes right, from failure. Exactly. And so that's what I feel like is so 100%. valuable. No matter yeah. what you're, who you are and where you come from. Yeah. So for me, failure, uh, really addressing failure, started with addressing the toxic beliefs about success. Because I believed right. I was successful or in the, in the kingdom, we call it fruitful. I believed I was fruitful if I was lovable by a man who... Mm loved me for my gifts and my skills. I believed I was attractive enough or I believed that I was mm. worthy. So to feel unlovable by him, again, first boyfriend, you guys, like literally zero right. experience with relationships. It was yeah. this moment of like, oh my gosh, this is my first, this is my first, it's my first time up to bat. And I just got smashed right. in the face with a fastball. So you're thinking, oh my goodness. And then, and of course, just the shame of going back home so I stayed for about eight months and really got to work through my crap while we're, I also got hired where this person works. So I now got to see him every day. So it's real, real fun. So I got to be reminded Monday through Friday and Sunday of all that I thought the death of a dream, you know, the death of a relationship, the, the death of what I thought my future was going to be like. And, uh, and, and the presence of douchebaggery. In the presence of douchebaggery. Douche Truly, you guys. Sorry Ugh. if your children are listening. Tammy, I know your son loves this podcast. I'm so sorry. He's getting a little education <laughs> on the board. Um, uh, anyway, I really got to sit with myself. And actually, I would go to this park not far from where I was living. And I was living and operating in a home for women who were in transition to get back on their feet. So we would serve them Monday through Friday. And I helped run the home and then got to live there for free. Mm. And so it was it was hands-on ministry all day while still trying to attend to my own failing, bleeding heart. Mm -hmm. And I would go in the park and I would sit with this. <laughs> Beth Moore, about 15 years ago, came out with this praying God's word. And it was by topic. So it would be like feelings of failure, feelings of loneliness. And then there would just be passages that would fit that, that felt need. Mm -hmm. And I would just go and sit in the park. And read these passages of scripture that Mama Beth picked out for us under that under that topic title. And I would just sit there for hours until I didn't feel like a failure. Tr quite fr I'm just quite frankly, until I felt like, hey, I'm okay. I'm enough. I am not defined by somebody dumping my butt. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not defined by... And I think also my Enneagram 3-ness of feeling public failure is particularly notable of feeling like no how can i twist this into something good mm. rather than gleaning from failure for failure's sake yeah oh i love it so much thank you for sharing i feel like the most remarkable thing about failure for me and maybe my first very big one i don't know if we should kind of unpack large ones and small ones because the mm -hmm. small failures for me are just like the regular things that i do every day mm. you know my i overreact to, you know, one of my children or something happens at work 
and I assume that somebody has negative intentions towards me mm. and I assume their motives and I have a reaction based on that that I need to like work through in my own head before I respond. So there's like, yeah. which yeah. that isn't a failure per se, but you know, you're learning how to communicate all the time and you're learning how to navigate life all the time or something happens and then you react at a 10 to something that's really a two to a five, you know? Yeah. And I think that I have these little failures on a daily basis. So for those of you who feel a lot of shame from those things, I think the process that I'm about to walk you through from one of my biggest failures might help you because I used to feel a significant amount of shame for dropping balls on things and for not getting things right all the time. And I would beat myself up repeatedly in my brain if I said the wrong thing, if I did the wrong thing, if I reacted the wrong way. And now I've really learned that these daily small failures don't have to be a source of shame. They're just an yeah. opportunity for my growth. And yes. the way that I really learned this is, you know, when I went off to school as a young 18 year old, I was an athlete and I was on an academic scholarship. And so that academic scholarship to school paid for almost my entire education outside wow. of books and a little bit of my housing. And so there was a lot riding on that because it was really the only way I could go to like a four-year university was for me to be on scholarship and do that. And then um, when I ended up walking away from my scholarship and sitting down with my dean on my um, on my next to last semester in school and just saying, look, I can't do this anymore. I have to give up my scholarship and I'm probably going to lose it anyway if I don't do that. And I, I think maybe I need to take less hours. I, I was working full time, taking 15 to 18 hours a semester, oh my um, you know, as a young person, also very much in my addictions and dealing with a whole lot of personal issues that I had never really unpacked to anyone. And at the time I was going to therapy and trying to do that but because I was I had so much shame in my life at the time, I couldn't actually even open up and fully share with a therapist the things that had happened to me and the things that I was walking through. And so there was just a whole little storm there. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is such a massive failure. And like of any people in my class, I would have been at the top of the list of folks who were like going to go on to succeed and finish school and get a great job. And like that was just assumed that this is my path. And when, when it didn't happen and I had to rethink like my whole life and I was like moving out of the dorms as everybody's about to graduate and I'm like 13 credits short of, of graduation, you know, and here I am moving out and moving back home and figuring out what's next for me. And I think that that failure is actually just what freed me because I was under so much expectation of others. I was putting so much pressure on myself that I perceived other people were putting on mm. me, even though they weren't. And mm. I felt that in my family. I felt that in my community. I felt that in my friends I went to high school with, like I felt it everywhere. And so when I moved out to Los Angeles a couple of months after leaving school, um, there was initially like this big exhale of like, oh, I don't have to be anybody here. Like I don't have to live up to anybody's expectations of who I should be or how I should perform or what I should be doing with my life. Like I can just be in this massive city where I know no one and figure out what my next step is. And so I, I think that that big failure sort of freed me up to see that, man, life is just a series. It was like my, my first big public one. It wouldn't be the last, but it was my first big public failure. And I think that that one is really the one that began me on this journey and this path of thinking, well, the worst thing has happened. 
somehow I've survived it. And now I need to deal with these addictions and I need Mm. to deal with the things that are really going on with me. And I need to shake off continually people's expectations of me. And I need to learn how to not please others. And I need to learn what I actually want to do with my life. And, you know, I think that that was a really good opportunity for me. And then going into recovery, um, starting that kind of process really began began to teach me that daily failures are a part of life and that you don't actually arrive to this place where you don't have them, that you don't suddenly get to this mountaintop where, you know, you just respond and react to life perfectly every single time. And you just respond and react to your friends and to your coworkers and to your fellow churchgoers and to your neighbors in a way that's perfect every single time. But that big failure is the thing that really set me free to start believing that that was true. Like, oh, there is love and relationship and life outside of failure. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Let's park there for a second because I love that you, first of all, I noticed both of our experiences. Were you 21 when you moved to LA? Yeah, I was 21. Yeah. Same. So I was 21 with my whole Prince Charming situation. So we both mentioned <laughs> circumstances where we're at the kind of a critical age of like, okay, mm-hmm. what's the trajectory of my next step? What is going to define maybe even, dare I say, the next you know couple years, maybe even a decade of my life? Yeah. But one of the things that I, I'm really taken with that I love that you pointed out is... Not just the expectation of failure, but understanding that failure is part of our our lifestyle and it's not one to ever evade. Yet, every piece of marketing that is thrown at us, I think especially women, is if you do this, you won't be a failure at X, Y, Z. Right. If you wear this makeup, if you take this diet tea, so if, you, dumb. Yeah. if you have this computer program that's going to help make your business better, you know, all so much of marketing is how can we avoid failure? How mm-hmm. can we make life fail proof? Right. And so that's the messages we're bombarded with. So we think, OK, this is where my investment should be. Now, obviously, if there's a if there's a great mascara and you feeling yourself, go get it. <laughs> not, I'm not saying don't do it. But I want us to see it as like, OK. What's the subtext here and what could we be subconsciously gleaning from maybe the marketing or the messages that we're receiving that don't serve us well and that don't serve our our deep understanding of self, others, the way we view God, the way we view our own trajectory mm-hmm. when we think of failure as toxic or 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 something to constantly be avoided or the worst thing that could happen to us to your point of like mm-hmm. wait this i lived through the worst thing like i did i just did it so therefore mm-hmm. i can carry on now here how do we manage all of that mm-hmm. wouldn't you say too i feel like <laughs> i often say this to my husband i can trust people who are intimate with failure i feel like i can trust them more people yeah. who have been to the bottom you know what i'm saying yeah, and people who who can just be honest about that. I mean, that mm-hmm. in and of itself just feels good because you realize like, oh, you're comfortable in your own humanity and that makes you a safe person. And I think people who are not comfortable in their own humanity, and listen, we're all on a journey here. So you could feel like, Ashley, I'm getting there. Like, don't count me out. And I agree with you. I think that's a really important thing. But when somebody's just able to own it, I've, I feel like they have less impossible standards and expectations they don't want you to perform and pretend around them because they're like, just be a human. Like I'm just a human. And then they're able to accept where you are. I also find that these people have a healthier sense of context. So instead of just like, 
assuming the worst, somebody might be like, wow, this is a really difficult time with that person in their life. And here's what's actually going on behind the scenes. And maybe Mm -hmm. I should just offer a a little bit of additional grace here instead of assuming something bad is going on. And I find that, yeah, when people are acquainted with failure, those and brokenness, that tends to be the things that follow. And for me, those are the things that make a great relationship where it's like, I love to be with you because Mm -hmm. we're both humans together and we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to figure it out. And no one's going to, you know, ask me to perform for them like a circus monkey or, you know, want me to be perfect before I can engage in relationship with them. And I think that's huge. It goes such a long way for relationship. Yes. When you approach failure properly on the other side, you walk in grace. I love that. That's beautiful. So well said. Um, So I have recently been watching Inventing Anna on Netflix. And Ashley, I can't wait for you to watch it. It is fascinating. And I remember when the Anna Delvey story broke um, in New York Magazine back, what was that, 2019? I, because it was right around the Fire Festival situation as well, (laughs) when those two docs came out. And I was just fascinated with this idea of a con artist and just self-deception and how you can view yourself one way when it's very obvious the lack of self-awareness to everyone else around you and you're fooling yourself and you're deceiving others and you're not willing to admit that you've failed. You're willing to continue to harm others and harm yourself rather than admit you failed. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the point of this, um, of this uh, miniseries created by the one and only Shonda Rhimes. But there was a point toward the end where her lawyer, her defense lawyer said, because of social media, we've turned life into performance. Life is now mm-hmm. a performance. Everybody's their own brand. Everybody's, Everybody's projecting their own something. freaking reality show. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so gross. Everyone's their own reality show. And there's you can twist it and turn it in whatever way you mm-hmm. want it to and make people feel or do or see or assume um, what, whatever you want them to. Right. And so just that idea. So, of course, I mean, there's so two things that really stood out to me was just to the very end, she still thinks she didn't do anything wrong. And she's very Crazy. adamant about that. And he's trying to convince her, like, not only your name is on the line, now my name's on the line for this. And then secondly, when he talked about, like, life is performance now because of this. And it just reminded me, like, we have got to hold tight to healthy practices of processing both victory and failure in in a truly healthy manner. Or we will fall prey to such self-deception, you guys, such self-deception that will not only uh, just blind ourselves, but but really spew false falsities to other. I think this is where you get fake news, Ashley. It all starts with this unwillingness to admit the truth. You know, (laughs) I agree, and I think that's why you know we've talked about this many times, especially in our kind of uh, social media podcast that we did Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. But there is this whole, you know, I'm so thankful to have had recovery during this time because everyone is projecting their anger and anxiety everywhere but where it should go. Mm. We either completely internalize it and shame ourselves to death or we completely externalize it and shame others to death. And I think that both of those things are an unwilling you know, whether either you don't have the tools, never seen it done, you know, there's, there can be a little bit of like, 
innocence in it. Mm-hmm. But I also think there is this thing where it's like, hey, look, you have to recognize that we all make mistakes and we all fail. You have to deal with your own anger and anxiety. You cannot mm-hmm. internalize it until you die and get, make yourself sick and get ulcers and, you know, begin harmful behaviors because you don't know what to do with your anxiety or your anger. And then you also can't externalize it and shame people and blame them for all the problems in the world or decide like every liberal leftist or every Republican or every, you know, Christian or every evangelical, like you just start broad stroking everything and everyone because that feels good. It's like, that makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel like these problems that I'm dealing with in society are everybody else's fault. And if I can blame them, I can fix it. And, you know, the root of angry anxiety is really realizing like I'm in control of not a lot. Mm -hmm. So how can I continually relieve myself of burdens that are not mine and things that I am not responsible for? And then how do I accept the things that I am responsible for? And how can I accept the failures that I have in my life? And how can I welcome that part of me? Like, how can I literally say to myself, I welcome you to be a human. I welcome you to not be perfect. And I recognize you, critic. I recognize you sitting here. I recognize you wanting to shame me. I recognize you wanting me to repeat uh, these harmful behaviors or numb out or do the different things that you want me to do. I recognize you. I acknowledge you. But you can't run my life anymore. Like, it's just we have to accept the things that are, the reality that we live in, the place that we dwell, and the person that we are. And that, I think, opens us up to real love and real grace and real relationship with ourselves and with God and with others. Yeah. I, I really I really am taken by what you said of we'll lean into anger or blame or shame rather than admit failure often, mm-hmm. rather than, and then we'll project that on others. What a way mm-hmm. to, we're so desperate to avoid failure that we'll choose to harm ourselves and harm others in the name of what winning in the name of not being wrong, you know, fill in the blank there. But I think it is just so poignant to note that, that our human spirit so badly wants to avoid failure. Yet if we lean into it and again, I just want to go back. I really like how you pointed that like, Oh, I lived through the worst I've uh, publicly. And now I can walk on and see how to manage this next. And um, I often quote, uh, in one of my keynotes, I talk about adversity and resilience. And the New Yorker has this article about resilience. And if you view failure as something that will destroy you, it just might because we often treat failure as who we are, not something that happens to us. Right. And it's not. It's not our identity. It's just part of right. our life, just as you said. But if we're willing to frame it as something to overcome then there's so much goodness available. And it really does forge us. We are forged in the fire. Again, not on the beach in Cabo, you guys. We're forged in the fire. So there we go. Failure may be your fire right now. And if that's the case, accept it. Yeah. And it's worth talking a little more about shame here. Because I think that, you know, shame is one of those things that we experience as humans. And Mm -hmm. when you fail, one of the first, I think, Tiffany, this could be a different experience for you, but I think one of the first feelings we feel is shame. And we feel like we're not Mm -hmm. enough. We should have done it better. We messed up major. And then sometimes you can even begin to list all the times that you've failed before. You can begin to start calling yourself names. You're such an idiot. Why did I do that? I always do these stupid things like blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could just go down this. You can let your brain kind of go down the track that it's always gone. And I think it's worth talking about shame here because shame is something that we experience as humans. And, you know, shame tells us that we as a person are bad rather than feeling guilt and feeling like, oh, shoot, I made a big mistake. And what am I going to do to repair that? Or what am I going to do? 
made mm-hmm. a small mistake. And what am I going to do just to say, hey, I'm so sorry. I really overreacted and I apologize. You know, like yeah. I think it's important to talk about shame because shame is this debilitating emotion yeah. and experience that we can have. And it's something that can compounds with time and um you know if you don't deal with with the root of shame you can get underneath it so badly that you begin to reframe how you think about yourself and how you feel about yourself and about the person you believe that you are and that directly impacts how you view others yes absolutely so well said Oh, good stuff good stuff and it's it's so perfect right this week as we start off lent and understanding that our Humanity is not perfect and we are all, all journeying toward humility and gentleness toward others, toward ourselves. And there's so much grace for it all. There's just so much grace for it all. There really Um, is. Yeah. Well, a few things to share with you listeners. Um, Our good friend, Joe Saxton, she has been on the podcast before. She has Azer Collective, which is a gathering of women from all walks of life who want to deepen their leadership journey. And it has been in Minneapolis in the past. I recently attended last November and she has one coming up in Southern California Mm -hmm. in April 21st through 23rd. And if you are interested in journeying with Joe, you can read more about her in the show notes and with other women who are just doing the dang thing. And I just have to say, personally, as a woman of color, it was so refreshing to be around such diverse women, so many women coming from a truly like all um, from business and education and and politics and uh, uh, the faith space. It was just really, 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 really good. It's really just down and dirty, round table style, talking through things. In fact, the gal who led my table group was a therapist. Like it was just such a powerful time to really reflect on what's got you to this point and what could take you to the next level in your leadership journey. So if that interests you, you can read more about it in the show notes and we'll have links to Joe's site, uh, Azer Collective. And for our podcast listeners, we have a $50 off code using the word podcast. And the best thing about that, I'm going. So <laughs> I want to see you Actually, guys. Be there. If you're gonna, if you're gonna make the journey, I would love to see you. And I'm so okay, excited that's for enough. Joe to be in Southern California with us. She is a champion of women, a true, true champion of women. She is not someone who just talks about empowering women. She is a woman who actually does it. And I'm very, very thankful she's going to be here. So we look forward to seeing some of you there with us in Southern California totally. in like, April. No one I know. Like, oh, it's going to be such yeah, good weather. Isn't I agree. It? You guys, yeah, Ashley's going to be there. That's enough of a selling point. Go hang out with Ashley in real life. It's going to be so fun. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let us know if if this resonates with you and how you've dealt with failure. We would love to hear from you. And it's, it's a topic that I don't think we ever get tired of talking about because it's an issue that we deal with almost on a daily basis. So let us know how you're processing this. And as always, we're so glad you tuned in. See you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.